Hey, it's Larry. Uh, Thanks for listening. Happy New Year. Real quick, before we get into this episode, I had such an amazing, eye-opening, life-changing experience at the World Parkinson Congress in Kyoto that I want others to have that opportunity, too. So Becca Miller and I and 24 of our PD community friends have launched a year-long WPC Travel Grant Fundraiser. We're each doing a two-week Facebook fundraiser. Mine's underway right now because my birthday's January 9th. All the money raised will be used to help offset travel costs so more people with young-onset Parkinson's can attend the next WPC in Barcelona in 2022. You can search out details on the When Life Gives You Parkinson's Facebook page or donate directly to the WPC website. Go to wpc2022.org slash yopdfund. If you or your business would like to supply matching funds... Hey, good on you. Email me at parkinsonspot at curiouscast.ca. And now, on with the show. Hi, my name is Larry Gifford. I have Parkinson's disease. It's a real downer. This is When Life Gives You Parkinson's. Joining me on this podcast journey is producer and reporter Nikki Reitmeyer. Hello, Larry. Hi, Nikki. On the last full episode of this podcast, When Life Gives You Parkinson's, you had decided to try a new antidepressant that you were a little bit nervous about trying, mirtazapine. That was supposed to help you tackle some sleep issues that you were dealing with. So how's it going? Yeah. Well, so I tried mirtazapine, a half of a pill, one night, and I felt the effects for more than two days. I was just in a fog the whole time. And it, it was uncomfortable and it was not welcome. Yeah. So um, there's all of the bottle of pills plus a half pill just tucked away on the top shelf of my cabinet because I, I, it wasn't for me. Well, I think that anyone who's tried any kind of, of medications that make them drowsy know how frustrating it can be because for hours or days afterwards, you feel like you're in a haze and you don't feel like yourself. And that is frustrating. Well, and, and for me, like that first night, like there was a time when my son called out and I, I, I was like trapped in my body. Whoa. Like you wake up and you're like, I can't move like you're like cemented to your bed that's scary it is scary and it's it's not not real sleep it's just it's it's fake sleep yeah uh so i uh i talked to my neurologist he called me and said hey how's it going i'm like oh Good. not so not so well yeah. so what what we decided to do is really uh we kicked up my uh levodopa carbidopa again so i was uh, at two pills every three hours now i'm at two and a half pills every three hours and then at night i was taking one of the extended release which is like a double dose that's supposed to last all night now i'm taking two of those ah. so i've increased uh, up to what the equivalent of like 13 and a half pills a day and i actually feel really good and i have more dexterity good. and i have more good. energy and i feel like my sleep is better not perfect but it's better. So we're tracking that. We're going to see over the course of the month how that goes. It seems like there's a lot of experimenting for each person who has Parkinson's to find out what the right medication is for that individual to help them tackle all of these different symptoms. Well, yeah, it's funny as you talk, as I I talk to more and more people who have Parkinson's, you know, they're like, well, I do this and I do that. And everybody's got their own. Yeah. Half dose of this and two doses of that. They they, they want to share their knowledge, but it doesn't work the same way for everybody. So it's like mirtazapine works perfectly for some people. I mean, especially for sleep and anti, uh, for depression and for anxiety. And like, it's a, it's a, it's, it can be game changing right. for some people. Uh, so I'm not 
dismissing the power of mirtazapine. Uh, it's just not for me. Uh, studies show that like 50% of people with Parkinson's get depression or anxiety, which is what we want to talk about on this podcast this week. And I imagine that's due to a couple different reasons. You know, one, you are having issues with serotonin in your brain. And the other being that you've been diagnosed with a a real serious disease. And that must trigger depression in some people, too. Well, sure. Like somebody tells you really bad news, you're pretty bummed out about it. You know, and there's a difference between just being bummed about something and clinical depression yes. uh, or clinical anxiety. Um, you, you can be anxious about something and not have, have anxiety. anxiety. Um, but uh, for people with Parkinson's, depression and anxiety are symptoms of the disease, not just a reaction to the mm. diagnosis. Uh, and that's because of uh, changes in brain chemistry. Our friends at the Parkinson's Canada tells us that in addition to decreasing the amount of, of the available dopamine, Parkinson's also affects the circuits and neural pathways that control your moods. So how about you? Uh, Well, I've got mild depression. Okay. So that's been diagnosed uh, and mild anxiety. And I'm certainly more anxious than I ever was pre-diagnosis. So like loud noises or sudden movements and stuff like like I I get jolted or scared. Really? I've been... um, Yes, really. Uh, and, and I've been in an- anxiety moments where like for like 36 hours, I'll, I'll, I'll feel like I probably shouldn't work for the rest of my life because I'm not good at what I yeah, do Yeah, that sense like, of impending doom oh, and you're not yeah. sure why. And it's horrible. It's horrible. Uh, but mine's not as bad as some people I've met. And I want to introduce you to a group of people who have Parkinson's. They're new friends of mine, Hillary, Tony, and Johnny all three of whom will be making return visits to the podcast. So you're going to get to know them over time and you're going to love them just like I do. Um, They have a lot of wisdom to offer as it relates to dealing with apathy, anxiety, depression, and trying to explain these hidden symptoms of Parkinson's. To start, I want you to imagine someone you love slowly changing. Mm. Think of this person. They're active, they're athletic, and they're coordinated. And and the changes are just kind of subtle, incremental. Maybe it starts with some clumsiness and tripping over a doorway or a step or their shoes. The first few times you write it off to life, uh, distracted walking. And then after several months or in some cases years, you realize it's still happening. If this was a spouse or a sibling or a friend, you'd probably suggest they go to the doctor and get it checked out. What do you do if it's your child? Uh, My parents actually noticed them before I did. Um, When I was 12 years old, my parents noticed I would like trip over my feet and kind of drag them a bit. So I met Hillary Vanderleek at a Parkinson's fundraiser. Since she was old enough to play, Hillary was an athlete. Basketball, volleyball, soccer, synchronized swimming. She was an active tomboy, a preteen, unknowingly dealing with the symptoms of Parkinson's disease. They thought I had like hip alignment issues, so I started going to the doctors. And over the course of two years, we went through like five or six doctors, and eventually ended up at the UBC neurology department. And I was diagnosed with dopa-responsive dystonia, which is like. Similar to Parkinson's, but it just it doesn't get worse. And so a lot of young onset Parkinson's patients have been misdiagnosed with that 
before being diagnosed with young onset Parkinson's disease. And when were you diagnosed with YLPD? I was diagnosed with young onset Parkinson's disease at age 24, so that was October 2015. You know, Larry, it's interesting that sometimes you're not the first one who notices your symptoms, that it's the people around you who notice your symptoms. For sure. My wife noticed my walk before I really was conscious really? of it. Like, like I was tripping over my feet, but I didn't think anything of it until she pointed it out. I'm huh. like, oh, Yeah. Today, Hillary's 27 years old, tall, athletic, simultaneously optimistic and realistic, and she really doesn't know life to be much different than it is. I'm not mad that I have Parkinson's. I mean, in the moment, sometimes I feel like I, feel like I can't handle it anymore. But like, I didn't realize how strong I was without having it. I think it's pushed me to, to, having Parkinson's has like pushed me to limits I didn't think I could handle. What's a bad day like? I find a bad day would be, so I take my medication every two and a half to three hours, so if it's wearing off at like the two and a half hour mark, I kind of start to slow down and I can kind of push through my symptoms sometimes and get some like housework or work done on my computer, but at like when it starts to get bad, I'll have to lay on my, I find like my I give up position is like lying on my stomach. I can prop a pillow up under my chest so I can kind of keep doing computer work for a bit. Um, and then I'll be lying down for like 45 minutes at a time or more or less depending on what I've eaten in the day or how well I've slept or if I've exercised or done too much exercise, which I'm notorious for sometimes. <laughs> God, Larry, I'm not going to lie. And maybe this is the wrong word to choose, but Parkinson sounds like a real inconvenience. Yeah, it sucks. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's no way around it. It's bad. Uh, as Hillary and I chatted and the conversation turned to her parents and friends and more emotional topics, her dyskinesia kicked in. And you can hear the squeaks of the swivel chair she's sitting in. The squeaking will intensify in lockstep with her uncontrolled movements. Oh, my parents are so amazing. They basically would do anything for me, it feels like. Um, you know, now that you mention it, I haven't really thought about how it is on them, I don't think, as much as it is on me. I'm getting kind of twitchy, sorry. That's okay. Oh my gosh. I tell them all the time that I'm just so thankful for everything they do. I'm living in my dad and stepmom's basement suite right now, and they just basically are always... Sorry, I can get emotional. My dad is just, like, we're all, my dad and my stepmom and my mom have, are all basically there, just like a drop of a hat if I need it. Them. <sighs> yeah, especially through my anxiety, my panic attacks, it's been really hard. And so anytime I call them, they're just there to help me. That's awesome. So, I feel like it's, despite my situation and having Parkinson's, my situation's pretty good for just all the support I have and what I'm... Well, yeah, I don't know where I'm going with this again, but my support is... I feel very lucky, despite having Parkinson's. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, my dyskinesia gets back to me. I'm exhausted. I know. 
Yeah, you know, you really can hear the squeaking of the chair in the background. I'm imagining her in my mind, her dyskinesia really kicking in and her moving uncontrollably as you're talking to her. Yeah, it, it's really quite something. Uh, and it can be, if you're not familiar with it, it can be uncomfortable to be in that room. Now, I wasn't because I'm around it quite a bit. Uh, but before I was diagnosed with Parkinson's, it would have freaked me out a little bit. Is there a connection between the dyskinesia and an increase in panic attacks? Not that I'm aware of, because the dyskinesia is actually a, a reaction to the uh, levodopa. Ah, see, so sometimes my leg shakes when I'm anxious, but there's no connection with Parkinson's patients. No, and so like when we, we think of dyskinesia as a symptom of Parkinson's, it's actually a reaction to having taken levodopa for so long. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Uh, you heard Hillary mention panic attacks. Yeah. Uh, among her Parkinson's symptoms is extreme anxiety. I find a lot of people don't know about Parkinson's disease. It's not just physical. It's been very, like, it's been very tough mentally for me lately, too, just, like, pushing through episodes. I've been dealing with anxiety a lot lately again. My fear, like, when I my symptoms get really bad is, like, getting stuck or, like, not being able to get help. And so I find I usually start panicking if I feel like I can't get a hold of somebody rather than just the reason, just actually having Parkinson's and just, like, trusting myself to sit through it because I start to think, like, well, what if I can't get a hold of somebody? And then I don't... Uh, trust myself long enough to like just sit there and breathe and wait for my medication to kick in because it always kicks in but I just I've been really focusing on especially this week even just trying to like be in the moment and just work through an episode at a time and trusting that I'll be okay when my medication kicks in again talk about being in the moment is that new for you I actually like because in my body, when I'm like having a really bad anxiety attack or turning into a panic attack, I feel like I need something that I don't have. Whether it's like someone helping me or getting water or pills or changing my outfit so I'm more comfortable. Or just like needing to go to the hospital because they'll be able to help whatever issue I'm having. Like feeling stuck or like shaking so bad that I can't walk or like being so weak I just can't move to get where I need to go. Rather than just like trusting my medication knowing as it always does it will kick in and just I found just kind of pitch if I'm not near a mirror I picture looking at myself in a mirror and just thinking like if I were to look at someone if I were to look at myself I would think that I'm okay just like I just need to chill out a bit so that's being in the moment and I've had to start just like picturing the breath going in in my lungs and just really keeping it really simple and being in the moment. I remember my very first appointment with Miriam from the Parkinson's Society. I started having a panic attack in the room because my medication was wearing off. And she asked me what she asked me what I was thinking and what was what I was scared of. And I said I was scared that the building would <laughs> the building would collapse and I wouldn't be able to get help. So it was just like totally escalating my thoughts and not totally not necessary. Like if the building collapses, I can deal with it then hopefully but I needed to just be in the moment and just focus on like my breath going in and out or just how my body's feeling or just think about my big toe or something that is I can actually hold on to or something 
Larry, do you ever get anxiety attacks? Yeah, you know, strangely, I, I'm, it's not common for me to have anxiety attacks. I, I have had panic attacks in my life. I've called 911 twice for panic attacks. Wow. Uh, looking back, likely related in some way. I, you know, had one right after my diagnosis, which, you know, you panic. I had a panic attack. It wasn't quite a panic attack, an anxiety attack just a couple of weeks ago where I was convinced that my viability as a talent coach in the radio industry had come to an end. Oh. And so for about 24 hours, I was contemplating that my career was over. Oh, man. And I convinced myself through the anxiety that that was real. And so, and then and it took a while for me to like work through that and realize oh, I can still do this. Yeah. <laughs> but like it was, it was a scary 24 hours. Well, it's hard to rationalize your way out of anxiety attacks because you're not in control of what your mind is telling you at that moment. Yeah. It's, it is like somebody has embodied you and is making you think things that aren't your own thoughts. So you have a disease that makes your body do things that you can't control and you have a disease that makes your mind do things that you can't control. Yeah, it's <laughs> I'm not going to lie. This is a roller coaster you don't want to ride. Uh, Hillary, uh, by the way, started a nonprofit apparel line focused on mental health to benefit the Parkinson Society. Uh, the message going on her clothing line this year is, your mentality is the most important thing, which is kind of cool. Uh, you can purchase them on her website, hillaryvand.com. Uh, Hillary's first symptom was her walking. Right. So was mine. Some people, like my friend Tony Dawson, have hidden symptoms at first. Tony's 76. And we met in support group. He was diagnosed nearly six years ago. The initial symptoms, long before I was diagnosed, were more psychological than physical. That is, they tended to circle around a feeling of depression, which I had not been used to feeling earlier in my life, combined with some anxiety, which was more familiar to me. But I, I, I was a person who had some experience at different periods with anxiety, periods of anxiety. But uh, depression was not my thing. <laughs> uh, I was a teacher. People thought I was a very one of the comments that I would continually get would be uh, he's enthusiastic. He was sort of throws himself into things and things. And uh, it's that um, has kind of diminished or, or did diminish. And I didn't know really what was going on. I'd retired, and so I thought, well, maybe this is an effect of retirement. Um, and I went to see my GP, and my GP recommended me to a psychiatrist. And after some period of time, when uh, he tried various drugs that didn't work, and he began to notice that I was tremoring a little bit, and uh, he said, I think you should see a neurologist because I think you might have Parkinson's, which I balked at and did not like the idea of one bit. Um, but as it turned out, the, he was right. And 50% of the people diagnosed with Parkinson's have some sort of anxiety or depression. Yes, 50%. That's half of them. Uh, and that is remarkable. I, I was surprised to find that it was that that big. Uh, fewer of those people actually have classic depression. And more. almost everybody has some kind of anxiety associated with this disease. But uh, nevertheless, there's a lot of people who are depressed. Uh, and it's not, I should emphasize, this is not a result 
of knowing that you have the disease and that things are going to get worse. Uh, it's not about that at all. It's actually a symptom of the of the disease. It has to do with the dopamine uh, depletion in your brain. So it's a it's a it's a physical physiological change. Uh, and yet people, of course, given the way our society regards depression, it's changing now, but there's still a lot of uh, sort of stigma associated with depression. Um, so people feel awkward and strange about, about having it. And it's important, I think, to know that it's, in this particular case anyway, it's primarily an effect of the dopamine depletion. And for me, it kind of manifests most days as just sort of feel it's like a cloud. Yes, yes. And a kind of apathy, which is yeah. often associated with it. So it makes you, of course, if you're still working, I was retired, but if you're still working, it makes you less effective as, as a, as a per performer in your, in your company or wherever you work. Don't tell my boss. <laughs> no, okay. <laughs> hey, Larry, you really did this. But it must be challenging, like yourself and like Tony. You know, you're, you're diagnosed with Parkinson's, so you have so many other symptoms that you're dealing with, and then you get depression or anxiety on top of those symptoms, too. I mean, that is a lot of different symptoms for one disease. Well, and there, that's the thing. The people, people associate Parkinson's with the tremor. Yeah. Um, and the you know, rigidity and uh, depression and anxiety and all these things you can't see, uh, they don't, they're not considered by people who aren't familiar with the disease. Right. And so even as a newly diagnosed person, it, it's like it's overwhelming because you're like, oh, well, I've been dealing with constipation for a year. That's part of the disease yeah. too. Like, like for crying out loud, what's not part of this it's, disease? It's, <laughs> it's no crazy. Kidding. Well, how about you? You know, how are you dealing with your depression or anxiety? Well, you know, I, um, I have a counselor. Good. Um, yeah. And so, you know, we go through a lot of stuff. Uh, we, we, she talks me through situations, you know, certainly trying, you know, we thought maybe the mirtazapine may help some of that. You know, we, we've, we were taking it for the sleep, but we thought it might have some positive side effects on the other things. And that wasn't comfortable for me. So we stopped that. Uh, and it's just, um, I find talking to people, whether it's my counselor or uh, in a support group or just conversations with my wife and my family, um, talking through things really helps. You've been meeting friends from around the world, too, which I think is, is kind of cool. You've been able to connect and to have these conversations with people in North America, in Europe, and, I mean, God knows where else you're going to start finding new friends. Well, so I was just chatting on Skype the other day with a new friend, Johnny Aitchison. Uh, he's from Ireland, now lives in England. His home is in Leicester, about an hour north of London. Uh, he was diagnosed April 4th, 2016, when he was just 41 years old. His story leading up to diagnosis is really familiar to me. My wife noticed that there was a bit of a personality change. So she, and it was her, it, it was actually her mum and dad who hadn't seen me for about six months. And they came over in September before I was diagnosed. And they said, What's, what is wrong with him? You know, he's not himself. He's just, he's not, he's not the Johnny that we know what's going on. And, um, you know, I obviously I hadn't really noticed, but I seemed to be when I came home from work in the evening, when I was sitting around the dinner table, I just was very um, sort of spaced out 
uh, a bit sort of what they described as being zoned out, not really not really communicating with, with people. And then the other symptom that I had was it was absolutely, uh, I had a lot of tiredness. So I would fall asleep, you know, at night after having worked uh, during the day. I just thought I was overworking. Um, but it was, it was, um, it was clear to me there was something wrong with the fact that I um, I go to I've got a season ticket for Leicester City Football Club, so they won the Premier League in 2016. It was you know a, a once in a lifetime event, and um, you know two weeks before they they won the league, they were playing at home, uh, you know winning really well, and I fell asleep in the middle of 32,000 people who were cheering and. <laughs> and uh, you know, cheering and, and uh, having the best time of their lives. So, you know, I knew I knew there was something wrong. Nikki, after diagnosis, Johnny took four weeks off of work mm. to figure things out. Well, I mean, I think it was it was just it was just pure sh- shock, really. Do you know what I mean? Um, I mean, the thing that got it for me was when the doctor got me up to walk and got me to sat down again. I was concentrating so hard not to scuff my left foot. And I sat down and he went, you're not swinging your left arm. And I was like, I didn't even know, I hadn't even noticed. So, <laughs> so it, was, it was clear when he said that, you know, it was clear what the diagnosis was. And then it was just numbness for, for weeks. You know, it was, it, was, it, was just, it was just sort of disbelief. Do you find that people are asking you more often, how are you feeling? And how yeah, do you, so how people, do you respond to people that? People will ask, how are you? Um, or um, yeah, how how are you? How are things? That that's the that's the main sort of that's the main sort of um, questions. I mean, and it depends who you, who you ask. So if if somebody's really interested, then I'll I'll um, I'll tell them exactly how what's happening, what the sort of latest symptoms are, how they are controlled, um, you know, what's the latest on the medication, that sort of thing. Um, you know, the people who say, oh, you look really well, um, you know, that, that's very difficult to to get them to understand how you're feeling because a lot of the non-motor stuff is so invisible, you can't actually get people to understand. So I normally say to them, oh, you know, um, you know, if you if you, if you want to learn more about sort of Parkinson's, is a really good and, and the invisible symptoms. You know, I refer them to that YouTube video, That's good. and then I and then I, I I say, do you want me to send you the link? And some people will say no, and then others will say yes. And if they say yes, then I send them the link. And I say, look, I'd really appreciate it if you watch that. And then that that starts to open conversation. Then um, it's quite useful. The, the other phrase I would use would be, oh, oh, yeah, I know, I know. Thanks for saying that. That will look well, but you know, you you don't see me sort of the person who sees me the most is is my wife, and and, and she's the one that really notices the symptoms. And um, you know, I would say, oh yeah, but you know, I'm doing I'm doing well, but you know, you, you don't see me at first thing in the morning, or you don't see me at half ten at night. You know, whenever the sort of medication starting to wear off in your legs. And your toes are just curling and, and uncontrollably shaking. So um, it's, uh, it's, it's a very delicate balance. I thought that was so interesting what he said about invisible symptoms. It's so important to address invisible symptoms because, 
you know, I imagine it could be frustrating when someone looks at you and says, oh, you, you know, you look well. And you're going, I am not. I am not well. Looking well and actually being well are two different things. Well, and that's the thing. Like, people will ask me how I'm doing. And I'll say, yeah. Pretty good. They go, well, you look great. I was like, well, yeah, well, I'm not thanks. going for looks. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> like, I, I'd rather look, go for the feel. Yeah. <laughs> How am I feeling is what you asked. And quite crappy today, thanks. <laughs> well, and with anybody with depression, though, looks can really be deceiving because someone might look like they've got it all together and they look healthy, but we know that mental health problems are an invisible issue, or right. in this case, an invisible symptom. And, and Johnny, in his case, he's not ever been clinically diagnosed with depression or anxiety. Uh, he describes what he experienced as bereavement for his old life. Ah. Yes. So uh, admittedly, he is more anxious about some things now than he, he was before, much like myself. Uh, and he mentioned the YouTube video in, uh, in the clip we listened to. And I, I've gone ahead and linked that video on the hidden symptoms of Parkinson's on the podcast notes of this episode. Well, it's interesting that anxiety and depression are often paired together, but to the individual, they're separate experiences. Uh, To find out more, our partners at Parkinson Canada connected me to Kimberly Singian, who is a registered nurse. She published a paper about depression and Parkinson's in the Canadian Medical Association Journal. In terms of my research and my background, uh, depression is about 50%, 40 to 50% uh, common in, in patients with Parkinson's and it's almost similar with anxiety but they are different in the way they are diagnosed. Oh, so what's um, different so, about anxiety and depression? So in terms of depression, not just the simple, oh I feel sad today because everyone has that feeling but it's that persistent feeling and sadness that you have feeling of fatigue um, uh, even feelings of guilt and being worthless Um, your sleep can be affected, your appetite, and also your weight. Um, It does does overlap um, with the Parkinson, the typical Parkinson um, symptoms, which is sometimes when you see Parkinson's patients, they have this uh, flat affect. Um, Anxiety, uh, on the other hand, um, is not completely, but it does overlap with the depression symptoms. Um, and that is dealing with the day to day and not, you know, being able to uh, uh, almost function. And they have the feeling of, um, I don't want to say scared, but uh, it makes a situation that they are in uh, as though they're not able to complete it. Um, so for, for depression um, and anxiety, there are barriers, I feel like, and stigma because I feel like the patients or people, if you are to talk about it, uh, if if you are to say your feelings, you feel as though you are weak. Um, I don't know if you can relate to that right, yeah. um, at all. So there is a stigma attached to these um, non-motor symptoms. I think talking about it and being aware how common it is, and it doesn't mean that you are weak. There are changes in our brains. So and it, and these changes, these chemical changes affect our mood. So that's almost the, the cause or part of the cause of why these, pa- these patients are um, having these depressive and anxiety symptoms. What can a person do to help cope with their depression? In terms of treating or managing these um, depression, uh, depressive symptoms, there's two ways. And I, I I support both, and one is talking about pharmacologic uh, interventions, so these are medications. 
um, and pills that patients are taking, but they're also non-pharmacological. So um, uh, they're psychotherapy, exercise, and nutrition. What's important actually is a combination, and it doesn't mean um, that if you know, your physician is saying, oh, you may have depression um, along with this Parkinson's. It doesn't mean that you need to start being on these medications uh, because for mild and moderate levels of depression, um, having someone to talk to, so the psychotherapy part, the support groups, and stress management, we all need to you know, manage our, our stress on a daily basis, uh, really does help um, and uh, control these symptoms. Uh, exercise and nutrition, I feel like that is for everyone. Exercise, it helps release these chemical transmitters that are actually being affected in our body. Ah, oh, more exercise. <laughs> it's for depression. It's for anxiety. It's for Parkinson's. Oh, my God. More. Uh. <laughs> Uh, you know what works for me, though, is and we talked about it, is the counseling, the support groups, you know, some exercise, uh, meditation, yeah. eating better, uh, being more mindful, keeping a, a gratitude journal. Oh, cool. Yeah, that was an idea from my counselor, which is great. Noticing my thoughts, just how am I framing things? Um, and that, uh, my counselor said, that the, it's the cognitive behavior therapy. Are you familiar with that? Yeah, I've heard of cognitive behavior therapy before. Yeah. It's interesting that she's applying those techniques to you, and it sounds like a lot of other techniques as well. Yeah, it's, so the cognitive behavior therapy, which sounds scary, but it's not, <laughs> uh, it's just noticing distorted thinking patterns and, and you know, uh, reframing those negative thoughts. It's just a good reminder to like uh, if you're feeling bad about something or if you suddenly everything seems negative around you, check yourself and notice how you're framing things in your mind. Yeah, being aware of your behavior. And seek some counseling. It's, you know, if, if that's your thing, it works for me. I like it a lot. In each episode of When Life Gives You Parkinson's, Larry talks to his wife, Rebecca. I find it interesting how openly we're talking about depression and anxiety these days because growing up there seemed to be a stigma about it yes and like i don't think it was ever discussed in my house it wasn't mine because it was present in mine um with a couple of members of our family so we talked about it we didn't talk about it in a real open way that said there was certainly a stigma and especially in society and certainly we didn't talk about it a ton with people outside the family, with outside of the trusted circle, the close friends and, and family. Well, even when I had my first panic attack when my dad was very ill, I don't think that was something I shared with a lot of people because it wouldn't, wouldn't have been cool to have had a panic attack. No. Still not cool, but like it's, I'm more willing to share that with people because it's just like, hey, everybody's got something. Yes. And, you know, I found myself, I was writing a, an email to a friend who also happens to be a, a therapist <laughs> um, and saying, so I was going through a bit of a hard time for a couple of weeks there and I don't think it was depression, but then I started to describe it and I was like, okay, yeah, it was probably because <laughs> it felt overwhelming and like I wasn't going to get out of it. And it was just like the overwhelming gray and couldn't see the light for the, you know, light through the trees and, and that, and I know it was a fraction of what people who really, really experienced depression or even anxiety or whatever it was, um, 
but it but it felt really real. But I think that with depression and anxiety and with Parkinson's, you can't compare one experience to the other. Mm-mm. Your experience is true to you, and it's as devastating for you in that moment as it is for anybody else in their moment. And if you start comparing and contrasting how depressed we are, or mm-hmm. how how much Parkinson's do you have, or like, mm-hmm. the, the, we need to stop measuring these things and just hit it straight on, and you know, and trust people that they're they're going through times, and you know, give them the space and the support they need to do that. Mm-hmm. The the shift that happens when people learn that your anxiety, depression, the mental health issues that you are experiencing are a symptom of the disease. And it happened for me, I'll admit it. Oh, okay, well, wow, that's really different. But it's not because people who experience chronic depression, anxiety, whatnot, it typically comes from some sort of chemical imbalance or predisposition, a genetic predisposition to those things, those disorders. And so that's really no different from what you're experiencing. But I thought about it differently, and I imagine a lot of people did, and they have when you've explained it that way to them. Oh, it's not because you're not coping with it very well, right. with your diagnosis very well, stigma, judgment perhaps attached to that. It's because it's your body doing that to you. Oh, yeah. okay, well, that I have a little bit more empathy for and, and, in a way, right? And the bonus is people with Parkinson's can have both. Right. <laughs> they, can, they can be depressed in reaction to the diagnosis. And then as the, you know, even early in the disease, you know, it's the, the chemicals in the brain get all mishmash and mm-hmm. the neuropathways and the circuitry in your brain, it all goes on the fritz. And it happens for me over time. Like it wasn't, it was just sort of this uh, slow fade. You get a counselor one day and they start asking you questions and they go, yeah, you're borderline depressive. I'm like, oh, well, good, because I didn't have enough going on in my life. (laughs) And they want to put you on another medication. Exercise more. Exercise. Exercise more. That'll fix it, right? Yeah. Exercise does not work for me. Yeah. Well, and we've talked about this, and this has always been kind of this freakish thing about you. And now I'm wondering if it's related to maybe your nervous system having been affected for a good portion of your life for whatever reason. But you have never responded to exercise the way that a typical person does. I exercised, maybe didn't want to, maybe felt really tired, maybe feeling sore from yesterday, but I still did some exercise today and I feel better for it. And you get the endorphin rush that doesn't, it kind of keeps the soreness and the pain at bay if you exercise a little too hard and all of those things. You've never experienced that, have you? I, I Not that I recall. Uh, I, I know I need to exercise. I know that that's what's going to hold the symptoms at bay, but... Um yeah, there's nothing about it where I, I feel there's a rush or there's a high or that there's a, a takeaway. Like when you go golfing and you hit one shot over the course of 18 holes, you're like, oh, yeah, that's what it's like. Yes, okay, great. I'll do it again. There's nothing at exercise where I go, okay, that one moment of whatever. I, I've never had that realization. And that never, never even a physical response. Well, the it. physical response is pain, pain and soreness and, soreness and tiredness, tiredness and yeah. You don't get the endorphin rush. 
no. I don't know. Maybe that's part of it. Maybe that's part of the disease. Maybe it's just I'm. Maybe you're all freaks and I'm fine. <laughs> well, of course. If you or someone you know thinks depression or anxiety is something that you might be suffering from, Parkinson Canada suggests you ask yourself the following questions. Has my sleep pattern, appetite, energy level, or sexual function changed significantly? Am I more irritable and anxious than I used to be? Am I having difficulty concentrating? If the answer is yes to any of those questions, then talk to your doctor. Next time on When Life Gives You Parkinson's. I'm uh, walking to the Parkinson Society of British Columbia, where I have my monthly support group for newly diagnosed Parkinson's patients. When I get into a stressful situation, my outward Parkinson's uh, symptoms are exacerbated. I had a bad bad time with tremors, and I couldn't watch hockey games, which drove me crazy because I'd get excited in the hockey game, and pretty soon my arm's just going crazy. Maybe it can be a good excuse for things. Uh, It can be. It's not a good excuse. (laughs) This is not just tremor. This is not just uh, stiffness. This is a whole life-encompassing problem. Having that support group of people that you can bounce ideas off of makes a big difference. Thanks for listening. Please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you're listening to this right now. And when you're there, give the show a great review and feel free to comment. And you can engage with us on social media. So it's at Parkinson's Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Love seeing the people on there and yeah. having conversations. It's awesome. Making new friends. Making new friends. Uh, or email Larry and Nikki at parkinsonspod at curiouscast.ca. I'll tell you, uh, if you sign up for the Parkinson's Pod Twitter feed, mm-hmm. if you become our friend, uh, you're going to see a cartoon that Johnny Aitchison drew based on oh, our conversation. Cool. So we're going to put that up there. We also want to take a moment now to thank our podcast partner, Parkinson Canada. Uh, Look them up online at parkinson.ca. Keep positive. Keep exercising. Keep listening. We'll talk to you next time. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.